Welcome to the Cover Crop Strategy Podcast, brought to you by Montag Manufacturing. I'm McCain Vogel, Assistant Editor at Cover Crop Strategies. In today's episode of the podcast, Scott Healy of Hartford, South Dakota, joins us for a discussion about using a manure drag line to terminate cover crops. Healy also discusses the difference between oats and cereal rye as a cover crop, chopping corn silage, and much more. Well, my name is Scott Healy. Um, I'm from southeastern South Dakota around Sioux Falls. The operation that I work on is a multi-farm dairy operation. Farms that we grow crops for are somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, 1,200 to 3,200 cows per site. We've been doing cover crops behind basically corn silage here for going on. You know, Lynn's been doing it for probably 10 to 12 years, and I've been helping him for the last three or four. And in the last three, four years, we our main crop has been rye with some sort of a brassica mixed in. Uh, this last fall, we did we switched it up with the price of glyphosate and termination concerns. We switched to a oats barley mix with a brassica this last fall. So that's kind of what we're doing. So how many uh, total acres do you think you're cover cropping per year? It depends on year, on year to year, but I mean, in the last three, four years, we've probably averaged somewhere in that 2,500 to 3,000 acres of cover crop in the fall. And then how are you uh, planting the cover crop in the fall? Uh, with a either a no-till drill or an air seeder. What types of tillage are you using um, for the corn silage? Basically, it gets uh, drag-lined with a manure applicator in the fall or in the spring. And then we're either following that with a field cultivator or a vertical till. And then we do have a few acres that we've been no-tilling, but our manure applicator just leaves too much disturbance in the field to really get a good, good uh, smooth planter pass. So we got to knock them ridges down somehow. Um, and then, so you said this year new was the oats, adding the oats instead of the cereal rye for the cover crop. Correct. What uh, do you think about the results of doing that compared to the cereal rye? I mean, we had a pretty decent fall temperature wise, but we were dry again. And so the oats and the barley kind of struggled to get out of the ground. Uh, the first probably 500 acres that we planted got half to three quarters of an inch of rain on it. And that looks pretty good. The stuff that was planted a week later, just never, never really got much for growth on it because it was just, the moisture wasn't there. Okay. And what is your uh, growing season, like the dates of it in your area of South Dakota? Oh, usually corn's going in about the 25th of April to the 15th of May. And then we're taking that corn back off about September 1st to the 20th. To give everyone a little background, um, Cover Crop Strategies wrote an article last year about two dairy farmers from Ohio 
who used a manure dragline to terminate cover crops. Um, the dragline acted like a roller crimper and somewhat flattened the rye. So I posted to a couple of Facebook groups asking if anyone else had done this. And that's how I found you, Scott. So can you tell us about your experience with using the dragline to terminate your cover crops? So our dragline we're using has eight inch Dietrich sweeps on it. So it's more of, it's not doing any sort of crimping. And I guess what, from my experience, our drag line keeps our rye kind of in check. It keeps it from really getting too much growth, especially in the spring. It just kind of resists or it slows down that growth so that that rye doesn't get quite as big. It's easier to kill chemically afterwards, but it, with, with what our setup is, we would not be able to kill the rye with our setup. And with our growing season, um, typically we're going in, if, if we're in the fall, it's anywhere from, you know, maybe a week behind planting the rye at most. We're going to have, you know, in the years that we've been doing it, the last three, four years with the rye, the way we've been doing it, at most we're going to have four to six inches of growth there. If we come back in the spring, you're looking at maybe depending on the field, depending on the conditions, um, you know, we're out pretty early in the spring, really much, really basically as soon as the ground thaws, we're out trying to knife in manure. And so you're looking at rye that's probably four to eight inches. And so what I've, like I said, what I've noticed is in the fields where we don't pump manure, we struggle or we, we get concerned because that rye starts to really get pretty big. Um, you know, that 10 to 12 inches in spots, depending on, you know, the field, the, the moisture, the temperature, all that stuff plays into the growth of the rye. But I mean, we do get concerned that we're getting into that, that, that higher vegetative growth to where it's hard to kill, but we're not, anywhere's close to that rye starting to head out. Like for, in our operation, it just seems like the fields where we're pumping manure on, I don't know if it's the, the massive influx of nutrients or if it's the salt content of the manure or, or what exactly it is, but it just definitely seems to inhibit that rye's growth and kind of slow it down, which our main goal for putting in the rye in the first place is to get something established in that soil to protect that soil after we've taken the corn silage off you know the I guess the additional benefits are the that is like 100% the main goal but I would say that you know secondary goals would be to obviously tie up some some uh, free nitrogen if it's there tie up any sort of nutrients that we are at risk of leaching out um, and then obviously, you know, helping with build some soil structure. And so getting that four to six inch rye seems to accomplish those goals. It's just a matter of, because we're a corn on corn system, trying to keep it from getting too big and too far away to where we have trouble killing it is, is the issue. 
And so is it the, those Dietrich sweeps, that's what's term or not terminating, but injuring the rye as they go through this, or is it the fact that you're applying the manure that's uh, slowing it down? I think it's the fact that it's applying the manure. I mean, it will, where the sweeps are running, it'll, it'll take out maybe a two or three inch wide swath there. I mean, we're, we're eight inch sweeps on 20 inch centers. So it's, I mean, there's not enough sweep there to actually truly kill the whole swath of the rye. And that, and that's right, wrong, or otherwise that, that would defeat the purpose if we turn the field black with our sweeps. So, um, they're just kind of lifting, lifting that soil, creating a small pocket down there, you know, four to six inches below the surface and spitting that manure in there. Like you say, just could be as simple as maybe the hose dragging across as, you know, but it seems to be pretty even across the field where it slows the, it just slows the growth down. So, and it's to some extent, I, I guess in these dry falls, it's kind of surprising to me that it slows the growth down because you would think that if you're dry and you add all that moisture from that liquid manure, that that rye would kind of take off with that bump of fertility and that bump of, of moisture there, but it, it, it really doesn't seem to, it kind of holds it. Like I said, it, it kind of puts it into almost like it goes dormant for a little bit, has to kind of process all that salt process, all that fertilizer or that fertility that's just been introduced to it. And then it starts to grow again. So. That's really interesting. Um, so and like I say, it, it doesn't seem to matter. It doesn't seem to matter. Obviously if we inject in the fall, call it the damage in the fall. If we inject in the spring, we see the damage in the spring. But really when you look at those fields side by side, come, you know, 10 days in the spring after it's been injected, those fields will be pretty comparable. So, I mean, it, it just, it doesn't seem to really hurt it more one way or the other. The, what we've seen, I guess, is if you're in there before that rye is probably, I'm gonna call it two inches then it really seems to affect it. It really, that rye might, might not ever, you know, we're on seven and a half inch rows. And if you go in before it's, you know, two inches tall, it might not ever canopy those rows. You know, it'll still grow, but it might not ever canopy those rows. So it really messes it up if you're in there too early. But it, in our situation, 100, 120 million gallons of manure to pump. So once, once they're ready to start knifing, they go where they can. So, um, you know, we, we've tried to plan, we try to plan and we try to kind of lay things out as best as can to get that rye in there and get it seeded early. So it gets some growth before the manure guys are coming after it, but it just doesn't, sometimes it doesn't happen. So. Yeah, I was going to ask you that, like how you go about planning so you're getting the timing as close to perfect as possible. Well, like you said, this this year we ran um, a no-till, a 30-foot Great Plains no-till drill, and we ran a case 40-foot air seeder, and that was that was an investment we made this summer is that air seeder just to have more capacity, you know, instead of 
Um, on our on our no-till drill, we're filling probably every 50, 60 acres. Um, on the air seeder, we can go for sure a day when we're just putting in cover crop and just not have to fill, just get out there and run. And so we've done what we're our goal is and what we've been really focused on here the last two years is that when the silage cutters are going to the field that we've got the drill and now with the air seeder that we've got both of those units hooked up ready to go that uh you know we've got seed on hand and then if there's a guy available while we're chopping we're getting somebody out in those units as soon as we get fields cut uh to get that seed in the ground as early as possible. Cause like I said, this year, you know, we caught two little rains while we were cutting silage and the fields that were planted ahead of those rains had probably double the growth of the stuff that was planted a week later and didn't get the rain. So, I mean, in our area, especially with the way that the last two, three years as dry as we've been, that is just, if you don't have the seed out there, it can't absorb the moisture. Um, you know, if, if it's sitting in the bag, even if you get the moisture, by the time you get it in the ground, it, the moisture may be gone. So, I mean, for us, that's the big thing is as far as timing is just doing a better job of planning, do a better job of making sure that everything's ready to go before we start chopping silage. Because once we're into, into silage, trying to get equipment ready, trying to get equipment hooked up just becomes almost nearly impossible. So there's always something else broke down or if your field's too far away and need extra truck drivers or whatever, it's a lot easier that if it's all hooked up, ready to go, you might be able to sneak somebody out of a truck to go plant for two, three hours. But if you've got to get everything ready to go, it, it ain't gonna happen. I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Montag Manufacturing. Montag Precision Metering Equipment is helping producers achieve their yield goals while saving on seed and input costs. For establishing cover crops, Montag's family of seed platform equipment adapts to a variety of major brand delivery systems that will conserve seed and nutrients along with soil and water. Explore new options for your production and conservation goals with your Montag dealer. Visit MontagMFG.com or call Montag at 712-517-2775. Now, let's get back to the conversation. So then when you're terminating the cover crop, what are you typically doing to terminate it? Typically glyphosate, either, either like a week ahead of tillage and planting or we'll do our tillage, we'll do our planting, and then we'll wait five, six days and then go in and do glyphosate. We've done it both ways. Seems like sometimes if we get in there and we terminate it ahead, if we're a little bit too quick in with the tillage or the planter behind there, we end up with some that, that survives. On the flip side, if you go in there and you till and plant, if you get something that's kind of covered by a, a marker or, or a trash whipper, then it survives. I mean, we've had, we've had pretty good luck the last year, just the last two years, just getting stuff killed period. But prior to that, we had issues with killing it both ways. So I, I think some of that might be weather dependent. 
but I, I think part of it is too is at times we were cheating our five to seven day windows and either going in too quick or with the with the tillage in the planter or we were going in too quick after with with the sprayer and it just wasn't it needs that time to to either suck that glyphosate to the root or it needs that time to kind of recover and start thinking about growing again before you go in there and hit it that that seems to be the best the best thing that we've had for success is just like you say five to seven days um and then so for your 2023 season how did you get everything seeded for the cover crops or do you still have some to do in the spring no we won't seed anything in the spring so if it doesn't get planted in the fall it doesn't we just hang on to that seed and it sits for for the following fall so we don't we plant it. We do plant some of our rye. We plant at a double rate, and we'll harvest that for forage, and then we'll double crop it with sorghum. That, and then we've got one neighbor that we're working with. We're trying something different this year to put rye in on a field right next to him, so he can calve cows on it. And then we're going to put in a probably a real short day corn, you know, on a 90, 95 day corn, something like that behind that that's the first year we've done it. So it's kind of an ask of him of the, of, uh, the, the farm owner, not very good, uh, not very ideal conditions to calve in. It's a field right next to him. So I'm going to try and work with him a little bit, see how that works. So. Yeah, that should be an interesting experiment. Um, any other new, uh, things planned for 2023 in any area of your operation? We made quite a few changes here this last year. So I think we're going to sit and sit and ponder and see how they go. I mean, aside from the um, cow calving thing, what else new did you do this year? We brought online three manure digesters. And so this will be the first year that we've got manure that has been, that has passed through digesters that we're applying on fields. So it'll be interesting to see how that how that, I mean, we've seen a little bit nutrient wise, just changes in the manure, it, it's really, honestly, it's hard to tell if that is environmental from a dry summer or if that's truly, you know, related to the digester. I think we, we had a little bit higher organic nitrogen, which I do think is part of the manure digester process. So it'd be interesting to just kind of see how, how the fields perform with manure after it's been passed through those digesters. So. So is that the goal of the digesters is to get that higher organic nitrogen? No, they, the dairies partnered with a company out of California that wanted manure for, to produce uh, renewable natural gas for carbon credits is essentially what it was. And Thanks to Scott Healy for today's discussion. The full transcript and video of this episode are available at CoverCropStrategies.com slash podcasts. Many thanks to Montag Manufacturing for helping to make this Cover Crop podcast series possible. From all of us here at Cover Crop Strategies, I'm McCain Vogel. Thanks for listening.